This is episode 63 of the Frontside Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Cherwadi, developer here at the Frontside. With me is Robert DeLuca, also a developer at the Frontside. Hello, hello. And our guest today is Saron Yutberg. Uh, she's the founder of Code Newbies and host of the Code Newbies podcast. Hi, Saron. Hey, how's it going? Great. Pretty good. So you have a big event coming up, the Codeland Conference. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, I'm so excited for Codeland. It is our first Code Newbie conference, and I've done a good amount of speaking at different tech conferences all over the world for a few years now. And ever since the first one I went to, I thought, man, we really need one for junior people, for folks who are just getting started. So I've kind of kept a, a running list of everything I hate about conferences and the things I like about conferences. This is my chance to put it all to the test. And so, yeah, it's a two-day conference, single track. And the idea is really to get people excited about all the things they can do with code, especially for our community, the two types of jobs we generally hear about are working at a really, really small startup or working at a really big tech company like a Microsoft or a Google. But we don't hear about working at the hospital or working at the library or the many nonprofits who need technical help. So the idea is to bring in people from all different backgrounds, walks of life, solving different problems and showing how code can be a really, really great tool for that. What are some of the things from previous conferences that you really like that you're bringing into Codeland? Oh, I like that you started positive. That's, that's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> we'll go negative later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Save the best for last. The stuff that I really like about conferences is the community part. Uh, it's being able to see a bunch of Twitter avatars come to life for the first time and being able to sit and talk. And, you know, I, I feel like conferences are the only place where I can network without feeling gross and without feeling like I'm networking. Yes. You know? Yeah. I feel like I'm genuinely having uh, real relationships and conversations. And I think it's because we are going through this experience together and I can say, oh, did you hear that talk on this and that? It was so cool. What did you like about it? You know, it's, it's a very organic way to start a relationship. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things about conferences. There's a lot of ability in there for like small talk about anything because there's so much going on. You could pick anything that you want and you're all experiencing the same thing and you're all kind of vulnerable. Yeah, I love conferences for that reason. Yes, exactly. And a lot of times you're in a new city for the first time, you're staying in the same hotel, you're eating the same food. There's so many kind of, you know, created and forced points of connection there for you. So you can pick anything and start a conversation. Yeah, really like that. I'm looking at the website right now and uh, I see inspiring talks and there, it doesn't look like they're all exactly technology specific. So I like see city life and health. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. I want to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. So I wanted to pick topics that are generally not covered as much in tech. And I also, I didn't want to start from the technology. You know, I think that a lot of people in our community are very excited about the possibilities of tech and what they can do with it. And we hear a lot of stories of people who say, you know, I see this problem in my neighborhood. I see this problem in my community. I see this problem at work. And I think that code is a really great way to solve it and to put together these solutions that I have in my head. So the way that we're working, and that's another thing too, we're working very, very closely with all of our speakers, is we're starting from the problem space. We're starting from the users. And then we end up in a place where the technology becomes the solution. And I think that when you start at that more common human empathetic element, I think you are much more likely to bring people in who may not feel as comfortable with the tech. So that's the way we've kind of organized and thought through stuff is focusing on the problems that all humans and all of us can relate to. And then saying, well, one way we can solve that and address that is through 
through JavaScript or this, you know, or Leaflet or, you know, whatever that tool is. That sounds really cool. So then uh, is there going to be conference talks that are centered around like how to have like proper like work-life balance example to like fill into that, that health or like how I've uh, configured my editor to help with, I don't know, like ergonomics for my hand because I was getting carpal tunnel on my left hand because I was using control too much, you know, that kind of stuff. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really good idea. That would make a really great tech talk. Uh, but yeah, but that's what day two is for. So one thing that I've seen a lot in my own conference experience is I'll watch a talk, I'll listen to a talk and it'll be so inspiring and exciting. But then I go home and it's over and I'm back to my daily grind and all of that energy and positivity just kind of goes away. And so what we wanted to do was have that first day be focused on all these ideas and projects and the second day transition into, okay, what do we do about them? So we have a block of workshops from things like crafting your portfolio to doing really well on a technical interview. So really getting your hands dirty and trying out some of those skills. And then we have panels from people who come in and talk about how they contributed to open source. We do have one actually on work-life balance and learning to code and how you do that. So making sure that we leave people with really practical advice and action items and next steps so they feel empowered uh, to go out and be awesome developers. This is awesome. So the conference is kind of structured almost like a workshop in a way to where like day one, you're going to come in and hear a bunch of things that are going to get you all riled up and inspired. And then day two, Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, this is how we go and implement that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to credit Dwayne O'Brien from PayPal who forced me to think very, very hard about the conference experience. So when I first pitched him on this, I said, Hey, I want to do a conference for Code Newbies. And, you know, I had kind of a, a disconnected list of topics that I wanted to talk about and to address. And he said, you really need to sit down and you need to think through what is the UX of the experience? Like what's, what's the user story, right? Like I go to Code Newbie as a new developer in order to, so that I can, you know, how do you structure it? So it feels like one really cohesive experience. And I sat down for many hours and really thought through how do I want people to feel? Where do I want them to, you know, get excited to get to work, to be interactive and um, really participate. And so putting a lot of time into that has really shaped this conference. That is really cool. To be clear, this conference is happening in April? Yep, April 21 and 22 in New York City. Awesome. I think this is really cool because when I was first going to conferences, conferences are awesome, but um, when it was my first conference ever, I just felt overwhelmed because you see, you walk past the clicks of people, like, I don't want to say clicks, but yeah, you see the uh-huh. groups of people that like, you know, have been there and done it. And like, you're kind of like, how do I break into that? And if the conference is kind of filled with everybody like that, giving your first conference talk could be a lot easier just like breaking into the community and talking to people could be a lot easier. So I think this whole idea of running a conference for newbies is like A plus, honestly. Thank you. I wish this was around whenever I was like within the very beginnings of my career. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Is there anything uh, anybody on the outside can do to get involved and help um, that like volunteer? Yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of volunteer spots to help out the day of the conference. Um, And I'm really excited because a lot of people who've stepped up are people who aren't necessarily the right attendees. You know, they're folks who have years of experience who just went away to to join in um, and, and do you know something and, and help out. So we have volunteer spots, um, and I'm happy to include that in the show notes. I can send a link to that. Uh, and then we also have a section during our workshop. Uh, we have like an optional community coding session where if you don't want to do any of the specific workshops, you can just bring your laptop and just kind of socialize and code and you know work on your own stuff. So if anyone is interested in, in the New York City area in uh, participating in that and just being like a like a floating technical mentor of sorts, those are the two ways to get involved. 
that's really cool. New Yorkers get on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I hear you like to talk about, and it kind of fits in perfectly with this, is imposter syndrome. I think this will really help with imposter syndrome. Was one of the like foundational goals for this is to help people come to grips with that and like deal with it better, I guess, or peel like the onion back on what imposter syndrome is. And let's start there. Let's start with what is imposter syndrome. Yeah. Why don't you give your best yeah. definition of it? Sure. So uh, so I, w- I was really excited the very first time I heard about imposter syndrome. I think it was maybe four or five years ago. And I said, oh my God, that explains so much of my life. And when I really dug into it, though, it was slightly different than the way that I initially understood it. So the official academic definition of imposter syndrome is a way to describe the phenomenon where I have a lot of accomplishments. I'm you know, 10 years into my career. I have all these accolades and, you know, I'm the CTO, senior, whatever, whatever of this and that. And even though I have all these very tangible, um, very real accomplishments and proof of how awesome I am, I have trouble internalizing that. I can't look at that and go, oh, I am awesome. I look at that and go, ah, that's cute, but you know, I'm not, I'm still not quite there yet. And I think that in our community, when we talk about imposter syndrome, that's not really what we mean. I think we are describing what happens to everyone when they're learning something for the first time where they say, oh, I'm not getting this as fast as I think I should. I know a little bit, but I, I won't know nearly enough to belong. And it's really the sense of belonging that we have classified as imposter syndrome. And we actually had... um I guess Alicia Liu on our podcast, I think it was about a year ago, talk about it. And it was interesting because the first time that she blogged about it a few years ago, it went viral. Everyone was like, yeah, that's totally how I feel. And then she wrote another blog post a couple years later that said, no, 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 everybody, that's not what imposter syndrome is. You're not an imposter. <laughs> you're actually, you're just a beginner. You're just new. You feel like you don't know what you're doing because you probably don't, which is fine. Like, it's totally fine to not know what you're doing. But yeah, the, the definition of imposter syndrome for me has definitely shifted a little bit over the years. Yeah, it's interesting that the textbook definition and what we kind of experience in the industry are kind of at odds in a way because yeah, you, yeah. you have like the textbook one where it's like you have this well-accomplished person that's done a lot and they don't feel like they're good enough for what they're doing. And then mm-hmm. what we have is just like everybody in the com- in the programming community is trying to fit in and they're always trying to learn new things and yes. always feeling like they're not getting it fast enough. And I think that's an industry-wide problem. Mm-hmm. I kind of always feel like a beginner because everything's changing in our industry so fast all the time. Yep. And so there's there's always kind of this disconnect between, well, I may have done some things and I may have accomplished some things along the way, but I'm I'm still a beginner at whatever this new tech is. And actually, everyone mm-hmm. else is too. It's nice to be reminded of the fact that to be around other engineers who are experiencing that too, that hey, we're kind of all in this together and we're all kind of new at this. Nobody's quite expert level at this particular tech stack or this particular way of thinking it. We're kind of all figuring it out as a community. Yeah, yeah. One of my um, favorite talks that Scott Hanselman does is uh, it's this really awesome talk about a little bit about his background in JavaScript and the evolution of you know JavaScript frameworks. And he has this whole section where he goes through a list of this really impressive resume and all the stuff that he knows how to do and he deeply understands. And at the end of it, he goes, all of that is completely irrelevant because of Heroku. (laughs) None of that matters. Now I need to go learn something else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it was for me sitting in the audience, I was like, yes, Heroku. Because I'm thinking if that's how, you know, this guy feels who's been doing it for so much longer than, than I have. Okay. I'm, I have a chance at this. So. Yeah, I feel like I send <laughs> the I don't know what I'm doing dog meme to yeah. someone <laughs> at least once a week, at least. 
I feel this often. And yeah, it, I think it can be attributed to like the world is changing so much. But I think it's a little different for people that are experienced in the industry versus people that feel it who are brand new. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you're brand new, it feels so new and I don't know, uninviting maybe for the, the mm-hmm. imposter syndrome where like as you get older and you get more into not older, you get more experience and you kind of become one with the imposter syndrome. Like <laughs> somebody asks you to do something that you don't know and you're like, uh, yeah, sure. I'll do it. I'll figure it out somehow and then go on your way. But you still feel that feeling. But when you're a, new- a newbie, yes. it's, it's like it's overwhelming almost. Do you know any of like any tactics to like kind of help that? I actually I have no clue <laughs> besides like pairing and, and trying to like bring this new person into the programming world and telling them like this is kind of how it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that community is a great way to solve that. Uh, when I first learned to code, I taught myself for a few months. I did, you know, all the free and relatively cheap online resources. And it was so frustrating because it was my first time being in a world where I was in a semi-permanent state of failure until something finally worked. And then I got to celebrate that for two seconds. <laughs> and then we moved on to, you know, the next feature, the next bug, the next whatever. So being in this cycle, this vicious cycle of constant failure and having, you know, so little time spent actually enjoying the wins was so different. And it was really hard not to internalize that, especially in my world where, you know, my family has no idea what coding is. They still don't really get what I do. It has something to do with computers and podcasting. Um, <laughs> my mom is actually going to come up for code land and I'm so excited because she can finally see what it is that I'm doing all day. That is awesome. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be, she texts me and she's like, yeah, let's bring like your family and your friends and like your dad can come. And I'm like, mom, mom, that's not what this is. Slow down, slow down. Stop taking my tickets, okay? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, your, your family doesn't really get what you're doing. Your friends, if you're not coming from the tech world, if you're transitioning, they have no idea what you're doing. So it's super, super lonely and it's really hard to explain. And when I transitioned from that into enrolling in a boot camp and doing that for three months, all of a sudden I had 40, 45 people who were with me every single day for, you know, eight to 12 hours at times who knew exactly what I was going through and who understood everything that sucked about it and everything that was awesome about it. And just knowing that it wasn't me, you know, the problem, I was not the problem. (laughs) The code was the problem (laughs) and the journey is the problem just changed everything. And that was really why I started Coding It was to say, you know, coding boot camps can be an awesome experience, but for a lot of people, people, they're not accessible. You know, it's three months at least without a job. It's between twelve and seventeen thousand dollars. And because it's not, you know, they're not always accredited programs, you can't necessarily get like a student loan the way you can, you know, for a college. So for a lot of reasons, there are really high barriers. And I wanted to make it a little bit easier for people to find a support system who are going on that journey. And so that's what really, you know, started Code And we did that through the Code Nubi Twitter chats that we do every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And we do that every single week for an hour really as an excuse to say like, hey, we're all going to hang out at this place. As long as you have an internet connection, you can join and find friends and find people who know exactly where you're going through. And that's really been, for me, a huge, huge help. What kinds of positive experiences and stories have, have come out of, of that community? Uh, have you seen actual great change happen through that? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had people get internships. We've had people get jobs.、Uh, we've had people just find out that other people in their neighborhood are also learning to code. You know, I've seen a lot of like, oh, I see. You know, you're in Portland. I'm in Portland too. Oh my God, what? You know, and a lot of that. And then they meet up in person and they pair. We've seen a lot of mentors and mentees pair up through Codenewy. So it's just been a really great jumping-off point for a lot of folks to find those connections and opportunities and run with it. So through. Codeland and through Code Newbies,、um, one of the goals is to connect junior engineers into their community. What kinds of roles and ways to to connect do junior engineers have through opportunities like this? So a lot of folks are finding internships and apprenticeships and some junior roles. I think what I'm really excited for with our community is. The growing number of junior positions that are popping up, we've seen at least a few companies. GitHub is the one I think of、uh, top of mind who have started creating kind of like hybrid coding and community roles for junior people to get their foot in the door to kind of you know to start to get some real experience under their belt before going for something a little bit more coding heavy, a little more full time. I know GitHub. I think I think they're calling it like a. I'm gonna mess this up. It's not a community manager, but it's something around like a community manager position. And what I really like about these hybrid Roles is the fact that a lot of folks in our community who are transitioning into code have very, very valid, very awesome real-world job experience. It's just not technical experience. So they've done a lot of sales, they've done some design, they've done marketing, they've done a lot of community building, they've done a lot of you know customer service,、uh, you know really empathy-centric jobs and roles. So with these hybrid positions, they're able to leverage that background, a lot of those really awesome communication skills, while also getting a little bit more comfortable and transitioning into a more code-heavy tech-related position. And so one thing that I hope happens, and frankly I think just needs to happen given the high demand for developers, is more of these hybrid roles, more of these entry-level junior developer roles. I know that there are. Apprenticeships and internships that have always existed for computer science degree students that are now transitioning and being a little bit more open to career transitioners as well as people who are students. So I'm definitely seeing a lot of shifts in the industry, and I hope to see more of that. And I hope that more of these awesome people who are really just so excited and so passionate and you know eyes wide open、uh, and very teachable, right? I think that's one of the things that senior people are really excited about working with our community is. Knowing that we are very open to being taught, we're very,、uh, you know, we don't have best practices, we don't have bad habits yet, so we're really moldable in that way. And so I'm really hoping to see that trend continue, where there are more positions, more learning positions, and then also more full-time entry-level positions in software. That's excellent.、Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of many examples of the kind of hybrid role, but I'm definitely thinking back to previous job I've had, where there was a, a very large customer service department, and several members of that team were like, "Hey, we want to start developing." Like they're playing around、mm-hmm. with code, yeah. And there definitely could have been an opportunity for them to maybe. Seventy-five percent of their job is still the customer service work and what they've been trained to do, and and then the other part of their job is, hey, let's let's start leveling you up and let's start teaching you some things and giving you an opportunity to to play and learn. That's an awesome opportunity. Yeah, and and that's the thing too is a lot of this has. Is already happening on an informal basis, like you said. You know, I've, I've heard definitely my fair share of stories. We've actually interviewed people on the podcast who said I started in customer service, I started, you know, in accounting, I started in this totally unrelated part of. 
my company and then I raised my hand and I said, Hey, I want to do some coding stuff. I started shadowing developers. I started, you know, just, just kind of hanging around the engineering team enough that they eventually let me, you know, do some documentation work or, you know, look at some bugs. And then I slowly transitioned into a developer position. So a lot of this has been happening very organically, but I think the, more we can systematize it, the more we can formalize that process, the more accessible it becomes for people who just didn't know that they could raise their hand and create those opportunities for themselves. So, you know, I think the more people do it and the more we can really put rules and and structure around programs like that, the more we can bring more people in. That sounds really cool. I have a question surrounding like, so we know what the good situation would be for a newbie to get into. Um, are there any mm-hmm. things that you could like advise people that might be looking for the first dev job? Like anything that are red flags to avoid? <laughs> oh, there's so many red flags. Oh, that's a good, oh, that's a good one. Cause I wish I had this when I was starting out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the, the hardest parts about being a junior person is just not knowing what it means to be a good developer. And it's one of those things where, you know, when senior people tweet and write blog posts and things about, you know, how incompetent they feel a lot of times and how they feel like, you know, they just don't know enough. On the one side, it's really comforting and it's validating. But on the other side, for me, at least it's, it makes me panic a little bit because I'm thinking, holy crap, like if you don't feel like you're good, then how how would I ever be good? How would I even know what good is? And, you know, if I'm working towards that. So I think one of the things to look out for is a company that actually has put some thought into what it means to be a good developer. What are best practices? And, you know, I understand this is super subjective and a lot of times just based on, you know, the product of the company and the values of that space. But I think for a junior developer, if you walk into a place where people are so, so busy running and trying to, catch up or trying to keep up that they aren't able to look back and go, Oh, you're on the right path or you're making progress. It's going to be at the very least frustrating for you. And, you know, worst case scenario, it'll be impossible for you to grow and really develop and progress in a way that's going to make you happy and fulfilled for your career. And so I think one of the red flags is just, I don't know if it's so much a red flag. It's more of one of the things to look out for are companies that have tech blogs, that have a podcast, that have really good documentation, that have style guides, that have a mentorship program, that do brown bag lunches, you know, things like that really show that the companies put a lot of thought into what they value on their engineering team and are much more likely to help you grow in your career. So it's it's more likely that they will have room for you to grow instead of, hey, we need some cheap labor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, right, is um, as career transitioners, as people who are not used to tech salaries, it's super easy to undervalue yourself. It's very, very easy to say, you know, I, I'm just coming from a job that paid 25, 30,000 a year. Yeah, I'll take a $40,000 dev job. That's so much better than what I'm doing. You know, like that's yeah. like a, it's like a 50% increase. You know, it's really easy to sell yourself short. And so I think when you can look at a company and see the structure and the thought they've put into growth, I think they're much more likely to really invest in you as opposed to taking advantage of the fact that you're just more than happy to be there. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that Brandon told me when I first started here and I was worried about failing was we didn't invest in Rob, the developer. We invested in Rob, the person. So 
Mm, yeah. That was something that really stuck with me that helped. I guess if we could go back, like it harkens back to the uh, imposter syndrome. It definitely helped with me um, accepting like that failures will happen. And if I do fail, it's okay because I'm in a, in a space that allows that. So maybe that's mm-hmm. something that uh, a newbie would look out for is software teams that have good process, like not shipping broken tests to production or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, like yeah. things like that. But also uh, managers that are there to help you and are to be there for you and uh, like take you out on one on ones and give you good feedback. And like, I guess it really just boils down to having a good support structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that can be hard to evaluate until you're actually there on the team. You know, when you're in the I mean, interviews like dating, right? It's you, you'll, you put on your best outfit and, you know, you put on some lipstick and get your hair done. And, you know, who knows, who knows what you really look like on uh, Wednesday night at midnight, right? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm at my best. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, what some questions that have really helped me out are, you know, asking how do you support more junior people? Do you, you know, specifically asking, like, do you have an education stipend? Do you have a conference stipend? You know, do you have like a, you know, like books? Like what, what are the, the perks? A lot of times it can be really straightforward to evaluate how much they care about your development as a person if you just look at the perks that they offer. And so, you know, I, I really love when there's an education thing, when there's a, a book thing, when there's a, you know, we'll pay for you to go to conferences because that really tells me that you care not just about getting the most out of my time with you, but you really care about my development as a person, as a developer. So those are really good signs. And then I think there are things like when you brought up testing, that was one of my kind of basic requirements when I was interviewing a few years ago was saying like, do you have tests? And why don't you have tests if you don't? And I've had a lot of answers that were like, oh, we just don't really see the point or we just don't do that here. Those are like not good reasons to not no, have tests. No, those are very bad. If you could see the faces we just made, we're like, oh, no. <laughs> Especially for yeah. a newbie jumping in, like that is your yeah. safety net because you read the assertions mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. you can understand what the code is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And you know, same thing like documentation, right? Do you how much time do you spend on documentation? And if the answer is we don't do that, then the whys are what really become important. If the why is simply, you know, we're stretched too thin and we're trying to fix that by hiring people like you where we can now focus on documentation, that's a much better answer than, ah, we just, we just don't really need it. We don't really see the point. So I think, you know, when, when we can ask as the people who are looking for jobs, when we can ask the companies more why questions and really get a sense of the way they make their decisions, I think that can be very telling in what type of environment you're getting into. I'll add in there one more thing for junior engineers to look for is vulnerability from future employers Mm, mm -hmm. that they're willing to own up to their mistakes and talk about their failures because then you'll know that you as a junior person have also have the ability to do that and you're going to fail. Uh, It's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. if it's an accepted thing and a thing that the company knows how to deal with and talk about and embrace and turn around into successes, then that's that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Saran. Uh, everyone check out codelandconf.com. That's coming up in April. Uh, and that's all for the Frontside Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.